You obviously have something on your mind. Spit it out. Don't you see? You're doing exactly what Amon says is wrong with vendors. You're using your power to oppress and intimidate people. And you don't? Of... Of course not. Isn't that what you came here to do? Intimidate me into releasing your friends? See, that's what I admire about you, Cora. Your willingness to go to extremes in order to get what you want. It is a quality we both share. You and I are nothing alike. Look, I'll make you a deal. You fall in line and do what I say, and I'll release your friends. That's why you arrested them? To get to me? I need your answer. No. You might be able to manipulate Chief Saikon into following you, but it won't work on me. You will regret that decision. You need to be stopped. You're just as bad as Amon. I've tried to work with you, Korra, but you've made it impossible. Welcome back to the Bitter Girls podcast. I am Sam Stanish. Uh, we are a queer av- we are a queer Legend of Korra super fan podcast. In uh, learning that every single day, uh, we are here to discuss Book One, Chapter Eight of Legend of Korra. With me, as always, is the guy who's always happy to show you to the boys' bunks, Derek Reining. Yep, that's me. Just like <laughs> the Air Temple, firmly believe, you know, two genders, that's it. You know, <laughs> both get their own side of the island. <laughs> yeah. Only the Avatar can master all four elements, and the Air Nomads have a strict gender binary. <laughs> you would do. think that they're the ones who would sort of be, maybe water is a bit more fluid. Mm-hmm. that's the no, fluid. <laughs> water is actually like really strict if you read the comics oh uh, well i can't yeah. wait to hear all about that you've mm-hmm. heard his voice already he is our guest today uh and he is probably used to less rustic accommodations tommy bravos hi my name's tommy i love avatar i have a water tattoo on my arm Ooh, uh, the alchemy symbol for water because it's the best element in my opinion you are in good company here (laughs) water is the best element i completely agree oh brother what have i gotten myself into (laughs) i mean to be fair water has a pretty good showing in this episode i will say yes absolutely true wait what were you saying about the comics we've never really read the comics so when Cora decides to come out to her Oh, wait, parent, hold on. Wait, okay. Well, we forgot to say. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know where we were going. Uh, we don't. T- we wait till later in the episode to talk about spoilers. So okay. we'll deal with that in uh, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Not a big deal. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's truly our fault. Our? We? I, I feel we. like it's a shared, uh, <laughs> shared mistake. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, not a big deal. Tommy, will you please uh, introduce your love of Avatar to the listeners? Where did you begin? What is your origin with the show? Um, I really can't like remember the exact onset. I just always remembered loving watching it whenever it was on. Um, and like for eighth grade, I got like the Sozin's Comet special on DVD for my birthday. Uh, so that was my first time owning Avatar stuff. And then when it was on Netflix... I think like two or three years later, like my parents were getting divorced. So my younger sibling and I uh, like really just had like dove deep into a binge. And so it started with like a really emotional connection to the series. And then of course, like 
as soon as Korra was announced after Avatar finished, I became super obsessed with like scourging the Tumblr tags to find news and just like really hyping up the show and being excited about it. I remember like watching, making all my friends watch it with me in college and staying up on the night of my fraternity initiation while everyone else was partying and I was watching like the book two finale, like (laughs) with my headphones on while like, you know, everyone around me was partying. Um, So yeah, it's, it's my favorite um, fantasy series by far. I've always been enamored with like magic and powers, but I think because it's so movement based and so, uh, you know, well-researched in how these powers or, you know, I don't want to call it magic, but you know, it's just really unique mystical. to me. And yeah, mystical. I, I love the mythology and I love the connection between like the body and spirituality with, you know, this magic of the universe. So that's my tea. I've always been obsessed with the show. I will forever be obsessed with this universe. Uh, the Kiyoshi books were really good. I'm excited for the 20 plus years that Brian and Mike are saying that we are about to get with this new Avatar Studios that they formed. So yeah, you I, you could you could call me a mega fan, but please I, don't. <laughs> I did not think about how it's the twenty years are like kind of coming up until you said that, but now I have like full body chills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's we're in for it, babes. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but uh, we are here to talk about one episode in particular when extremes meet. Uh, Tommy, what was your overall feeling? Was this a good episode? Well, because you, yeah. Tommy, you you were the first guest of Legend of Korra to ask for a specific episode. So, like, you, I would Ooh. love to hear your thoughts overall okay. on this episode. Well, so because I rewatch it so frequently, I really love when you get to notice, like, these deeper intricacies within the universe they create. Because it's not just like, all right, there's, you know, people fighting for justice and there's a greater cause and that's it. Like, we really, really get to see the world building. And I think this is one of those episodes that like brings up politics in uh especially in this season which aren't really discussed they're like sort of glossed over but this one is one where you can really see it like blatantly spelled into your face like asami has a line where she talks about uh the non or the violent protesters and she's like these are just regular people who want their rights back and you really get to see that vendor versus non-vendor oppression that is supposed to be on the forefront of the season but like it's just kind of like oh equalist bad we fight Amon, and like this is like really like laying it out and saying okay there really is violence against non-vendors happening in this city right now and like i don't know for me that's why i really wanted to talk about it i think um obviously it's really relevant and i think it's one of my favorite things about quora is because it's so modern it's so easy to apply a lot of what's happening in our society with what's happening in the story as well because historically it's only like a few decades past or you know prior to where we are in today's current period of time so that's why i I agreed with everything you said yeah like i i i have been sort of throwing some shade at this season for sort of like being about the like oppression or the politics but we they really don't like follow through on that every single time that they like try to bring it up and i think Mm -hmm. that this episode is has done the best job of it uh and like it's uh, it's obviously the metaphor is like breaking down because it's like just so clear what they're like going for and i think that's good and i wish that they would try to do that more Mm -hmm. yeah i know especially because this or book one was like supposed to just be a mini story so like we really weren't expecting it to be fleshed out and i think it's easy to use that as a crutch 
to justify the poor writing, but this episode really hits the nail on the head and like, you know, what book one is all about, which I really liked. Um, and especially, I mean, the fight choreography is amazing. I love the scene. It's so neo-noir while they're chasing the equalists in the car and they're, you know, bending ramps and Asami's got her glove on. You finally get to see her fight, which is really cool. Um, so I, I think in all aspects of the show, both in like what is happening and how it looks, it kind of hits all the marks for me for a good episode. And I also think like in the trajectory of book one, like it's kind of up and down for a while. And then episode seven is the turning point and episode eight just keeps that action going. And then of course the ending adds a whole new element to the plot. So I think it, and like really leaves you on your feet for the first time this season. Cause there weren't really cliffhangers up until this episode, which I also enjoy. Interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. There's like not, not really a cliffhanger throughout, maybe like the pilot kind of, but it's just like a peek at Amon and that's not really yeah. a cliffhanger so much as it is like a tease. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I agree. I like this episode a lot because it feels like um, kind of the show finally sort of um, paying off like the sort of promise of the show of this idea mm-hmm. of, Team Avatar on the streets, taking down bad guys in this little corner of the world in this urban sprawl. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of what the show was sold to us as, and then we get it. And then uh, by the end of it, it gets taken away from us pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but it is a really good episode, and I think um, specifically, like we said, the Equalist stuff, the non-bender stuff. I think the best line of this episode, and like one of the best lines I think of the book that's really encapsulates a lot, is like the um, the mother says something like what you're gonna say (laughs) you're our avatar too like that i Mm -hmm. think is like a really great sort of reminder to both like cora and the audience that like cora isn't here just to learn all the elements and beat up other benders she's here to protect everyone and that Mm -hmm. it includes spirits it includes benders includes non-benders and just like Mm -hmm. civilians and so i like that sort of remind that wake-up call for her yeah, and I, I love that line too, especially because even in rewatching it, and obviously I sort of know the general flow of what's going to happen. I sort of, when she got there and it was like a non-bender versus bender confrontation, I was sort of like, well, what is she going to do? Because I'm sort of like, I know in my mind that she is the avatar and supposed to be on everybody's side or like try to create peace. But I'm also sort of like, but she is like a bender and she's sort of like the... That, that's always been her thing that she's really good mm-hmm. at bending. And I don't know, she hasn't done a lot of the spiritual aspects of mm-hmm. the being the avatar. And I sort of, I feel like this is her really, like, this is this is her real test, her first real yeah. test as, as an avatar. Uh, and I thought she, you know, made the right decision and she'll go down in history books as being on the right side. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's like a huge wake up call for her because I mean, you see it in the first few episodes. She's like, this is what I need to learn. I need to learn modern fighting. Like I need to be fighting bad guys and stopping crime from happening. And just like, you know, all of this, not violent, but more physical based activity of being the avatar. And this is like really the first face-to-face thing that she has, which then kind of snowballs throughout the rest of the show where she's just learning more about the compassion that being the avatar is supposed to bring to the world. You know, she really has to care for, everyone and truly be selfless and i feel like with not with her decision but like allowing her friends to get arrested and like doing something for the greater good kind of plays into that too because she's like i need to make sure that everyone's safe and then i can get my friends out later uh which i i don't know i i I love having these like 
more human moments for her because she doesn't have any friends. No, she didn't have any friends until like the past few months of her life. So it's also cool to remember that and think about like all the things she's doing for her friends. I don't know. For sure. And I feel like that's another big thing that I love about this episode is like the bonds that we have going on here. It's like, it's great that we have Tarlock here to like be this bad guy. And so then and now we don't have to worry about like uh, interrelationship drama between characters. We don't have to worry about yeah. Tenzin and Korra disagreeing on airbending. It's like, oh, we, we see Korra and Tenzin completely on the same page. It feels like for the first time in the whole show, mm-hmm. like against Tarlock, we see um, like random pairings. Like we see Bolin and Iki like bond pretty mm-hmm. quickly. We see like Korra and Asami like getting along. Um, even though we do get that little flash of Asami noting that Korra yeah. and Mako are not being subtle at all in yeah. whatever the fuck they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, yeah, I like their bonding. Yeah, I, feel I, like- I, I, I was going to say, I like the scene where she's like crying and thinking about how she like really can't live up to everyone's expectations for her after Car- Tarlock calls her out. And it's like, you know, you're a half-baked avatar. You're not you're not who you think you are. And you, and then hearing Bolin be like, we're the new team avatar, I think is a really powerful moment and kind of solidifies their relationship, uh, their role together in, you know, saving the world and just kind of like establishing something that's really familiar, especially coming out of, you know, three seasons of team avatar all together. And like, it's nice to have these eight episodes of build up and then getting that concrete moment where it's like finally spelled out for everyone. Yeah, it's a nice message to the viewers to be like, this is the new team. Like, this is the group. Um, Mm -hmm. What was I? I don't remember what I was going to say anymore. But it's not a big deal. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So do we want to go through from the beginning of the episode and just talk it through? I thought that, like, from the very... I I love this first scene. I feel like it's been um, something that is, like... I don't know. I just feel like the Milo stuff at the beginning of this episode is, like iconic to the show to me anyway where he's like we will meet again mm-hmm. soon beautiful woman with his like hand raised uh i i just think that's a great scene um and yeah like derek was saying i really loved ika iki and bolin like me like they are sort of like very similar personalities so i thought it was cute that they were like vibing off each other mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i feel like a lot of people's general complaint or note after watching all of core is that there's not as many fleshed out personalities. And I think it's easy to to think that that's the case because there's less episodes and more of the story is focused on just Korra. But then, you know, you have these moments like this and you get to see things like Bolin and Iki having those little moments and like having younger sibling energy and Milo getting to be funny without farting, which I always appreciate. And like, he's like, you're pretty, can I have some of your hair? And it's like, okay, absolutely, I, I agree. It's like the fun, cute little moments that add more charm to it instead of you know keeping Korra as a more mature show to watch for sure yeah this is a very funny episode and we get some really fantastic um like I always just see these as gifts in my brain like the Korra reaction with like the lightning mm-hmm. um the icky like freaking out face like so many great animation moments here and so many like really iconic images of team avatar like that scene when they're all like outside of like a diner or something like on the car mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. good um all of the piling on naga is really great um just a lot, yeah. a lot of great images in this episode too mm-hmm. yeah oh i remembered what i was gonna say i feel like this episode has a lot of the strengths of the bossing say arc of the of the first show 
uh, where it's just all like we, Derek was saying, where they promise to deliver this show about all being in one city. And I feel like them just like going around solving all these different problems and especially facing up against like an administrative threat like Long Fang mm-hmm. or Tarlock in this instance um, just provides a different it it what's the word villain or like thing to come opposition to like the show yeah. that we don't really experience a lot where obviously like Amon is someone that Cora can just like beat up and obviously Cora tries to do that with Tarlock but like he has so much more like political power and like the politics yeah. is something very interesting that they should mm-hmm. explore more yeah that was that definitely something I want to touch on and another reason why I wanted to pick this episode because uh you know, we get that in Bossing, say, in book two of Avatar, but, you know, for the whole entirety of the show, the big bad is just like an imperialist who wants control. And it's so easy to be like, all right, this is someone who wants to rule the world. Cool. We're going to stop them. But for book one to have this like sub villain that is just trying to control the city through a more clean or pure way of doing so, I think it's just as evil and really, um, really cool to see world bin- building wise because, of course, you know the first metropolitan city that the Avatar world is going to see is going to have you know all this crime and corrupt politicians, and I think they did it so well, um, you know, both with like Tarlock's secret and how he, you know, really manipulates the people that work under him to make sure that he's always in the clear, but you know he's getting what he wants out of these you know social relationships. Um, I think it's really a really well written concept. You know, maybe the dialogue isn't the best, but I think the the idea <laughs> the idea is really uh, it's really cool to see something that is really familiar for us translated into this fantasy world. Hundred percent. Yeah, um, and so like yeah, as the episode goes along, we get these different scenes of like um, we get the council meeting here, where it's, it becomes mm-hmm. very clear that this is like. Everyone gathered here is a bender, and so they're obviously a lot more concerned about bending, like the rights of benders, than they are for the non-benders. Um, and so, yeah, you see Tarlock sort of presenting an opposition, like Sam said, or a challenge for the Avatar that isn't related to bending, um, which is like that's always cool. I think when the fight scenes uh, can exist and have like the, those are very fun, but they're not the end all be all of the conflict. Mm-hmm. It's not just beat the shit out of someone and we win. It's like, mm-hmm. that's sort of a stepping stone to a larger issue here. Um, mm-hmm. And I do love that scene later on when uh, like all of the people, the non-benders are being rounded up. And so we do get some cool bending there, um, especially from Cora, but it's, uh, it's like by the end of it, she's lost basically, it, which is mm-hmm. like bringing the bossing say comparison. I was thinking of, City of Walls and Secrets, the ending of that, when Jet's being brainwashed, like, it felt very that, the sort of, like, the heroes have kind of hit a very low point here, and Cora yeah. uh, is, like, kind of in place of Jet, who's, like, in this very isolated situation now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an exciting episode. Yeah, and it's cool that it's different from the Bossing Say stuff, because in Bossing Say, like, Long Fang had long had control over the city and sort of like the secrets and what was going on and he was like using the king as a puppet but like in this it's like we see Tarlock reacting to the non-bender threat and like take seizing power and like 
manipulate. I don't know. Because, like, I wish that we got a bit more from these three other bozos on the council who are sort of just, like, falling in line. It's like, is he manipulating them or are they, like, a cabal of... I've been using the word cabal literally only <laughs> once a day for the past two weeks. It's, it's a great word. Uh, of, it's like cd politicians like it's unclear yeah. to me but i guess it doesn't really matter because charlock is the big evil guy um mm-hmm. and i just think it's cool to see okay like not to get fake deep about it but it's obvious what they're going for i literally was just at the holocaust museum yesterday and it's like this is like how fascist uprisings like occur uh and it's like interesting to see it from like because aman is obviously going for his own sort of uprising but charlock is doing it through like legal means even though it's like Mm -hmm. disgusting laws but it's still like him changing laws to make it so that this is the new normal of what's going on yeah the mccarthyism is like really on full display i think it's again it's just so cool to have that like placed into this fantasy world um what was i gonna say yeah i um... wanted i wanted to talk about like uh the bending too when they're rounding up all the non-benders because you know, we get to see the metal bender cops and swinging around the city and like being able to arrest people. But like, that's all of these like high intensity action scenes, you know, like either it's Lynn in the uh, stadium or when Cora's running from the metal benders in the first chase scene when she arrives in the city. But like, this is the first time where you like see bending being used against people who don't have any means of defending themselves or in any sort of combat. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Um, why? Why did I? I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I totally agree. Like, it's just the even in the first show, like it's never been this done this way where like the supposed good guys are like the people who are like are sort of on the avatar side, like are the people who are committing these evil deeds especially like it's just so gruesome to watch the cops like corral these people into mm-hmm. these like whole, uh, gr- like groups uh and yeah it's ha- horrible to see it is yeah like it's like we're so used to metal bending seeming cool like them swinging around like spider-man like you said but then it's mm-hmm. just like something just really gross about this these like yeah. metal bars just like slowly enclosing these people like smushing them together it's as just they really, simply ask for power like everybody literally yeah. it's so basic but and then it's um i kind of wish we got more from the cop like the metal bending cops in terms of like what their process like i don't think we really mm-hmm. hear okay Derek loves cops no. <laughs> i just am like interested to know like how like uh, clearly they're how they feel lo- yeah like it's like i don't, but i mean i know that's asking the show to like explore a whole new aspect of the thing but and like there's really no time to do that but it's they do kind of become these sort of silent um mm-hmm. sort of villains even though like literally two episodes ago they were fighting with the heroes um but i think that's uh kind of important like i think that's the interesting thing about the tarlock versus aman sort of idea is that like we get aman is like presented as the main villain here but now for these like for this episode we're presenting who people who have like been on our side for this like Mm -hmm. chunk of episodes suddenly they're just like mindlessly mm-hmm. being assholes to people um and so it's it's i like that sort of core is literally stuck between these two groups of horrible people yeah i w- was just gonna say i love the line when she 
tries to get Tarlock to release everyone. And she says, you know, you're just as bad as Amon. And I think it opens up that like really interesting dialogue about anyone in a position of power being able to like get what they want on the situation. I mean, Korra shows up to try to threaten him to get the rest of Team Avatar released. And I think there that adds a lot of power to like the episode title because not only do you have this extreme of Korra and Tarlock meeting, but then you have the extreme opposite ends of trying to attain balance in the city meeting as well, because now we're seeing Tarlock with legal efforts kind of do the same thing that Amon's been doing, you know, the whole show. Uh, so I think there's a lot, lot going on in really smart ways um, that I think is another reason that makes this episode a, a big turning point or highlight of book one. For sure. Yeah. That when extreme, I mean, Tarlock says extremes, there at the end there as like kind of a name drop for the episode um this is like kind of a unique sort of episode title i feel like because i usually get like a the something um mm -hmm. it's like very apparent what that title means and so i like that they kind of make you work a little harder mm -hmm. to really get the meaning of the title here um and uh yeah that final fight scene though when he says that is really fantastic and that like mm -hmm. the bloodbending reveal is insane like something, i don't think I, yeah go on i was gonna say something something about the fight scene has just like always left me unsatisfied like i know mm. it's supposed to be one of the cool slow fight scene or like slow motion shots but i'm like cora why are you individually punching all these ice shards that are flying at you like why can't you just redirect them and throw them right back at him um which i think makes me like overanalyze Korra's character is like being this really strong buff woman who like will do whatever she can and it's like she starts off pretty being pretty aggressive with her bending so of course she's going to want to punch through everything individually instead of like really thinking it through and doing something a little bit more redirection based um yeah but then of course you know she she puts up the wall and then does that like cool arm swing move and, like literally rips the whole wall behind Tarlock off which I think is cool um I don't know. There's like always those little moments that it's really nice to see like someone's character coming to life, life through the way they're bending. Like if you really look at the way they're moving, um, I, which is another reason why I just love this universe and love this episode because of the fight scene that kind of speaks to Korra as a person. I do feel like the universe and the show and the previous show have never done a good job of making these ice shards seem like a good use of time. I feel like every time they've used these in a fight before, it's never done anything. And it's just, mm -hmm. they're like, I guess they're sharp. And like they showed that Cora's skirt ripped or whatever when it went through her clothes. But like that she was just like punching through them and all of them missed. So it just yeah. it doesn't really seem good. <laughs> um, yeah, I do love though that it's a great sort of a reminder like you said it tells us a lot about Korra's character and this is like so not Aang in every possible mm -hmm. way first of all he would not be here right now he would not have yeah. literally rolled up on this dude's <laughs> workplace in the middle of the night just to yeah. teach him a lesson second mm -hmm. of all like you said like the ice shards Aang would have like put up an air bubble or he would have jumped out of the way but no of course mm -hmm. <laughs> solution like he said this dude just he's like slug. i'm literally gonna sit here and punch every individual ice shard of the hundreds that are flying at me exactly i love that and she's willing to like we said do all unspeakable amounts of property damage mm -hmm. <laughs> in the name of just like teaching this dude a lesson 
There yeah, was a lot well, of property it, damage throughout the episode. In yeah. the equalist chase scene, they got called out for destroying the city, which I was happy about because I thought that it was going to go undiscussed. But they made so many ramps throughout. They like <laughs> created a, the, the escalating ramp as well as the turn ramp. And I was like, okay, like mm-hmm. I, I understand that Earthbenders are the cops and they could fix this in a second. But like, okay, this is probably dramatic, and you, it's. <laughs> Well, it's, then it makes me think of Lynn's line when she's like, you can't just waltz in here and dole out vig- vigilante justice, um, which I think is, you know, something that we always see in superhero shows where they're like based in a big city is just like how much damage that is actually done when you're trying to save people. I think it, it's nice to touch on that. And a lot of other shows are doing that, too, because it's I sometimes feel like it does more harm than good in the grand scheme of things when you're just like running around beating people up and destroying public streets for the sake of stopping like one bad person. Why mm-hmm. don't we fix the system that created the bad person? Period. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very, um, what man of steel did not do at all. That's that <laughs> movie. And then in the sequels, they're like, Oh, this was a complaint people had. Let's make that the entire plot line of <laughs> the next movie and still not handle it. Well, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, fortunately, I think the show at least is like a little more uh, astute in how it handles it than a Zack Snyder movie, which I know is a very low bar to clear, but <laughs> we can still applaud it. Um, yeah, I think and- a throwaway one-off line is the right way to do it. <laughs> it's, it's better than no lines, and then that's what I mean. Like, no, I, that's literally what yeah. I mean. Like I just want it to be referenced for the verisimilitude, and then just we're done. Somebody else could deal with like the numbers. Yeah, we don't need to see them out there the st- sweeping the streets up, like smashing. Like, we don't need to see it. We just need to know that it's not... The heroes aren't allowed to just do wanton destruction without any yeah. repercussions or anyone to even say something. Like, hey, um, mm-hmm. the fact that you just, like, built a ramp in the middle of presumably a place where people need to be walking and then probably yeah. people trying to get home to their families. What are you doing, Cora? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> the ramp that they built to go to fly over the truck or whatever, like covered the entire entire street. So like that's just blocked off until an earthbender yeah. can come through and help out. Yeah, we need we need um the like mini episode of like the the citizens of Republic City. Like, are you can you get the Avatar with the bending again in the road and now mm-hmm. just yeah with their thick back. New York accent? Yeah, the Avatar. Yeah, I feel like there's there's a Tumblr post about Harry Potter where it's like what all the book titles are from the perspective of like the other Hogwarts students who are just like there also, and it's like the those asshole that asshole trio, blah 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 blah. Uh, and I feel like that's how a lot of protagonists tend to be to the people they're mm-hmm. around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so but then we do get like that scene with the the non-benders, and then we we get like a well, very concrete sort of idea of like how. how the city really sees Korra here which is like Mm -hmm. they need someone to help them out in these situations here yeah Um, and so I like it's uh, to like bring it back to Avatar the first series like it felt very reminiscent of like uh the the specifically those episodes when Aang would have to like deal with like a spiritual threat or Mm -hmm. like a diplomatic threat um and so I like that this threat is continuing this is not a thing that ever goes away for the Avatar you always have to deal with people not just bodies to hit with fire or mm-hmm. whatever. It reminds me of uh, a little bit of the painted lady, you know, where like mm. this fire nation village is, you know, being left for dead. And I think it's really cool to see team avatar put into these more individualist 
scenarios where they like have to think outside of the grand picture of things because there's something that needs their immediate attention to fix or you know attend to um which i think just goes to show the detail that's put into this world because it's not just let's defeat the big villain that's you know at the end of the end of our story here but it's like all the little parts along the way which adds more gravity to the situation i think Another great parallel between this and the Painted Lady is that the Painted Lady episode takes place in the Fire Nation, and this is episode about oppressed non-benders who are like the supposed villains of the season, or like the group mm-hmm. that that Cora is coming up against is entirely comprised of non-benders. So mm-hmm. it's just like forcing you to like remember that there are normal, regular people in this group of extreme, or like who make up this group of extremists. Yeah, and I I also think there's like a little bit of a moralistic thing there where it's easy to hate anyone who's associated with something that's actively causing harm, but then to like, you know, remember for the audience too that A, Korra is everyone's avatar, and B, there are non-benders who are actively oppressed and have reason to hate benders, but choose not to do so, I think is really cool to see as well. Yeah, there's like a part of you that thinks like when the woman like calls out the avatar, you think she's gonna be like, you are the reason that this like she you think it's gonna be kind of that sort of scene where she's like, you're the ultimate bender, you are everything we hate. But no, she's like, no, you are here. Like she really reminds Korra of her actual duty here, which Mm -hmm. I mean, she's yeah, like she likes to think her duty is to like do this vigilante stuff and beat the crap out of people, but she has to Mm -hmm. actually help people get their power back on sometimes. Yeah. I love the way that the voice actress says that line. Like the when she says, you're our avatar too, it sounds so like broken and like personal and personally hurt. And then the fact that like she has her young child there with her too, it's just like a very, very powerful moment, I think. Um, okay. And we could, we could talk about that line. We Forever. We've already done so. But <laughs> Yeah. And the, I do think I do like also that we see that they, when they're enclosing the people, like the kids are in those groups, too. It's like they're just mm-hmm. like indiscriminately just like rounding up these people who literally just don't want to go mm-hmm. to bed without lights on or without food yeah. or whatever. Um, to yeah. go. I think you mentioned it earlier, like seeing what the cops feel like, you know, being put in the situation. I forget that we get that like brief moment where Tenzin and Korra go to meet Saikon to try to get everyone released. And it's very clear that he's, you know, just like a following orders kind of person. It's like, oh, well, we'll get to it in the morning. There's nothing we can do about it now. He doesn't want to address the fact that he's actively terrorizing the city he's supposed to protect. Absolutely. Okay. But I'm glad we're discussing the scene because Tommy, you mentioned earlier that like the ideas are great, but the dialogue is not always there. And this scene specifically is what that made me think of because <laughs> they're like Tenzin and Korra are talking to Saikon and they're like, Tenzin says something that's like, these people are good. Like they deserve uh, proper justice or whatever. And it's like, that's not the issue here. Like that's not actually <laughs> yeah. what is wrong. It's like the issue is like greater than You're- that. It's that Tarlock has changed the laws and like, the people are arrested because they were up against a curfew that like is completely immoral. It's like the t- mm-hmm. tends it's like completely not seeing the actual <laughs> issue through the forest through the wheat, the forest through the whatever mm-hmm. trees. Uh, and that was making me laugh. But yeah, I think that's a good scene, especially as like Cora is sort of considering that her friends are 
locked up uh, and she needs to figure out what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also like kind of the first moment too that Cora has to do something like this without any help. You know, when she goes to confront Tarlock. You know, of course she arrives to the city alone and then has the chase scene alone, but this is like her first time really stepping up to a fight other than when she went to challenge him on and was ambushed. Um, but, you know, this is something, uh, I don't know. I just think it's, you know, speaking to her opposite Agnes of just being so brash and making decisions in the moment to get what she wants in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's also um, especially uh, tough because this is the episode where they were assembling Team Avatar. Like Derek said, like they did it so quickly and then immediately it was uh, banished from our site. Uh, and so to see her immediately have to deal with it stuff alone after that is it or it's even worse. Yeah. But you do get some really gorgeous, like I said, visual scene. Like the snow, we've talked, we've like point, pointed mm-hmm. that out before. I love that we're kind of in this like, I mean, I would assume it's supposed to be like fall. Um, because yeah. like she Avatar, yeah, in Avatar, like each season of or each book is associated with a different season that's associated mm-hmm. with an element, and Air's element would be autumn. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where we are now. Um, but I love the snow, and then I love like every, that fight scene is gorgeous, well, mm-hmm. very well animated, and then we get the I would what I would say was the biggest gag of the season so far, especially like on social media was like. Mm-hmm. Oh, bloodbending is here. Like I think people yeah. always kind of figured we would see it again at some point, but I don't think we thought it would happen mm-hmm. so instantly um, and so like out of nowhere. And also, no moon? Question mark. No. Full I moon? remember there being um, this like really deep cut Tumblr thread about how like bloodbending was mentioned on like the premiere website or like when Cora was first announced, and there was just like landing pages talking about avatar so people were like all right are we gonna get bloodbending here like what's happening so but i remember still being like so gooped like jaw to the floor especially because it was like pulled as a last resort you know it like wasn't when the fight started so the way it was going you really thought that she was just like about to murder this man in town hall (laughs) (laughs) you know As (laughs) as she should absolutely um there was another shot that I really like when they're first like patrolling, waiting to hear anything from the scanners. And like Asami is like so coolly holding onto the wheel <laughs> with one hand with her, her green glasses. Then Mako's like sexily looking over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's it. You need, you can just hear the drive soundtrack playing like oh, yeah. the synth wave, just like bass bumping. You can mm-hmm. feel it. Yep. Yeah, the patrol scene specifically, we're jumping around a lot, but the patrol scene specifically, <laughs> uh, like, I just feel like we've made we've made so many Buffy the Vampire Slayer comparisons already throughout the show, but this episode specifically was hitting it for me. Like, I felt like the jokes were there. They had literally the, like, they call it patrolling in Buffy too, and they, like, they went around and fought these low-level, street-level vampires or non-vendors, and then they, like ramped up to like the greater plot relevant fight towards the end of the show uh and it was Mm -hmm. i just felt like i got an episode of buffy in 20 minutes (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly we love it um well uh any other i guess i have more thoughts uh um to talk (laughs) to to go back to the blood bending i completely agree gooped gagged even just this time watching i didn't remember what happened uh and so when he Mm -hmm. finally did it i was like oh right 
which was cool as hell to go back. I invented a new um, segment last week, and I would say mm-hmm. that my f- favorite bending moment of the episode was when Cora ripped the wall apart. That was sweet, especially because it cut off his water supply. So it was, uh, it looked awesome and it was practical, which you know does not always happen hand in hand in this show. Interesting. Yeah, I would have to say my favorite bending moment is right before that. Because I remember seeing like a, a looped gif of her with both fists out shooting that like initial fire stream at Tarlock right after he like slices her hair. And then he does that thing where he like makes a little water bubble in front of him. Then there's like an explosion of steam. And I think I thought that was really cool. I always love seeing water used for multiple purposes in a single fight. So he's using it for defense, both to block the blast and kind of create a cover for himself. And then just immediately starts launching the eye shards through that move i think it's so cool um to see that thought again tie into the idea of water and how it's always moving forward but that's mm. just me being out over water bending. <laughs> the fire yeah, well, blast was in my top tier of the <laughs> as well well i'm gonna rep for earth here and the my favorite i think bending moment is just like mostly just for like the visual of it is cora's um, giant earth slabs that she rips up and is about to just, I guess, like you said, murder Tarlock. Oh, mm-hmm. um, hold on. And she like screams uh, his name and he turns around. Yeah. So she's, like, I love that visual mm-hmm. uh, a lot. And so that's my number one for sure. I love how many threats on Tarlock's life yes, we got exactly. in this episode. <laughs> um, As it should be. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do we have any. Uh, non-spoilery thoughts anymore. Does anybody have anything else to say before we get to the second half of the show? Um, no. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Tommy, will you let our audience know where you can be found before, in case anybody dips out uh, before the mm. spoilers? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Tommy Bravos. Um, I also am a musician, so I have to plug that as well because Avatar is really influential with how I see the world and how I create my art as well, um, which is the only reason I would really mention it. But yeah, you can find me on all socials, just Tommy Bravos. I think you should mention it in every every <laughs> scenario. I think you make incredible music and I oh, implore our so listeners much. to go out and listen up. Uh, mm-hmm. For me... You can follow me at Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow my other podcast at Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram and Twitter. Hope to be coming back with that soon. Um, we lost Derek at some point in this uh, plugs, plug setting, but I, I, I'll happily plug for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully he'll rejoin soon. Uh, he is at Rain Derex on is on Twitter, uh, and he also does another podcast on the Bitter Jurors podcast network on our feed. So if you're subscribed to the Bitter Jurors, you already get it. But uh, it's called the Shadow Play Gaze, uh, and they are he and our friend Christine have been watching Utena, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Uh, and going through in podcasting spoiler free for uh, you and me. Um, and you can also follow the Bitterers at Bitterers Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Um, I hope that he rejoins soon, but Tommy, yeah, we frozen for a bit. Yeah. Like a he, it sounded like he was having some 
issues. Uh, Tommy, will you talk about what you were referencing at the beginning of the show yeah, with yeah. Korra coming out? I feel like most people listen. I don't actually even know if anybody actually dips out at the spoiler section, but I feel like most people mm-hmm. know specifically that Korra is um, not straight. Bisexual, bisexual icon. Uh, yeah, so I, I think the comics are really cool because they get to do even more of that world building um, that unfortunately they can't dedicate time to in the show, uh, especially with how crappily storyboarded Korra was because they're like, hey, you're just getting one season. And then halfway through that, they're like, JK, you're getting another season. And then halfway through that, they're like, oh no, you're actually getting two more. So you have to write, you know, a whole two more seasons of For the, the grand show. scheme. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so Korra and Asami go on their vacation that happens at the end of the show. And when things are starting to wrap up, she's like, well, I want, I want to, let's make one final stop before we end our trip. And they use the portal to go visit Cora's parents. Um, And her parents are pretty accepting, but they're like, you're not like, don't tell anyone else. Like, it's okay for us to know, but like, this is a family matter. You shouldn't, you know, display it proudly. And I think it's really cool that, you know, this element that's supposed to be about like openness and change and just like constantly flowing is really reserved and traditional with how they expect everyone's lives to interact. Um, Cause it's like, all right, keep your mouth shut. We're okay with this, but you don't know what other people will think. So don't do anything. It's like nice to see uh, the concept of pride, like really touched on in Quora. That's interesting that like they mm-hmm. would take, cause I feel like you said that happens like right after the finale of the show yeah so the the first comic series that happens um it's called turf wars and it picks up immediately after the show ends and then there's this really sweet moment actually where kaya kind of like is able to figure out and guess she's like i had a hunch like when you guys went on a trip just the two of you (laughs) and then that's when she comes out and it's like i've had plenty of those and then they talk a little bit about same sex relationships in history and in other nations typical in fire the fire nation it was like very well accepted until sozin like outlawed it and yeah. like really which you would expect uh, but the earth kingdom is very traditional like no questions asked but then of course the air no air nomads are as open as ever and she says you know like i can't remember exactly what she says but kai mentions ang being like really accepting when she brought her first female partner home beautiful yeah no but it's mm-hmm. interesting that they would have this moment like because the end of the show is such like a win for like queer people basically i feel so like to have it canonically followed up by such like a <laughs> kind of gross interaction like with her parents is mm-hmm. um well not it, awesome so the comics are like they always most of them are in three parts so like the concept of Korra and Asami being out and being prideful like really grows throughout this whole uh, arc, the Turf Wars arc. And do you, do you intend to read it at all? Do you mind if I like Feel say, say, say anything? Okay. So the very final panel of the three-part series is like Korra and Asami like saying, I love you and kissing overlooking um, Republic City. And they kiss in the first few pages of the very first one too. But it, it's like a national or a natural progression of the relationship because Cora, of course, wants to start showing everything off immediately. And Asami is kind of, you know, more reserved and she's used to being like this 
not hidden away, but like private, you know, high society girl who doesn't want to reveal too much. And so they kind of um, not butt heads, but have that dialogue about how quickly they can tell everyone. And, you know, then the rest of Team Avatar is really accepting. Mako's awkward, of course, a bit. But then Bolin is like, I had first dibs on a double date. Like, let me see when Opal's free. And Tenzin, you know, is very encouraging. So I don't want you to think that it's like big win and then it all comes crumbling down. But yeah, it's really, again, I can speak about Avatar's world building forever. I just think it's so cool to have like all these really fleshed out cultures and then to see something you know we've talked about politics making their way into specifically legend of Korra. it's also cool to see how something like pride makes its way into the universe too yeah that no yeah i didn't expect it that the overlying message of the comic would be that it's actually bad but it's good to hear that it's like do her parents come around on it like are they cool oh no no no, no. So they they were accepting. They were like really happy for Cora, but they suggest that they keep it like on the hush for a little bit because Cora's life is so public and she's yeah. already like under scrutiny. It wasn't like a they they weren't happy for them sort of thing. But Got it. it's not not what you would want it to be. But I think it is what is naturally expected, especially because Tonrock over parents her and like you know we find out why she had to be raised in solitude but it seems really natural for Cora to want to just like bust out all the doors and be like all right I have a girlfriend I want to show everyone my awesome girlfriend yeah and I I would if someone was my girlfriend I would want to show everybody my awesome girlfriend too yeah me too you're so pretty can I have some of your hair (laughs) um did this episode make you think of anything like do you have any reactions to this episode like go spoiler wise like are you thinking about anything uh for the rest of the show because like i feel like the bloodbending reveal set like opens up the rest of the plot line for the rest of the season yeah um Um, there is that moment like when they're leaving the press conference where tenzin asks cora if she's had any like visions or dreams and i i really enjoy that because it's also kind of like the kickstarter for her starting her spiritual journey as the avatar instead of just being good at fighting you know she meditates when she's stuck in the cage like at the very beginning of the next episode uh, and then you know she doesn't meet ang's spirit physically but getting to have those fleshed out flashbacks i always thought was really cool as well um because then that is just a precursor to the deus ex machina at the end where she's like you know she finally physically meets Aang and then gets her bending back. And I know it's not perfect, but it's nice that she has that like first spiritual touch uh, in this episode before she's brought to an even lower point in the last episode. Definitely. Yeah. I wish that uh, a lot was done differently, obviously in season one. Um, but I felt like I, cause like, I know it's, Deus Ex Machina, but then, you know, like we've been discussing, like I've read the Tumblr post where they're like, actually, she did do all of the same things Aang did to Master the Avatar State in these ways, mm-hmm. these ways, like all these examples. But yeah, mm-hmm. like it is a little quick uh, to come together at the end. And I feel like the same is with Bloodbending too, where it's sort of like, this is sort of out of nowhere. Like after watching the first seven episodes, there's no real uh, hint that this is coming at all. And especially mm-hmm. like, the reveal i don't even remember when it happens but that aman and tarlock are brothers it's just sort of like 
what the where did all this come from like Like, i feel like this is the first hint we get at that where Cora's is like you guys are like the exact same person but even that Mm -hmm. isn't really like a a hint in any way yeah Mm -hmm. i remember seeing this post that was like far far reaching trying to say that you could see amon's um mask in tarlock's reflection in the water before he's like you're in my way cora and you need to be removed um so i remember like when this episode first aired and then i immediately went to tumblr after <laughs> i went back and rewatched it and kept pausing to see if you could see um that but then there was because i did that i the idea that they were somehow related got into my head um and then of course at the end of the next episode where tarlock tries to bloodbend I'm on and it doesn't work. I'm like, all right. Well, it's very clear that he's not a spirit at this point. Um, so something's got to be up. There's got to be some connection between them. But I think that's because <laughs> I have watched the show so many times that you can kind of like expect how the writers are going to carry through a plot, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about, okay, it's like something we've talked about, but like bloodbending being this thing that can also prevent bending it's just like where is that from yeah i don't think that that was well explained i think that was just a last ditch grab um and then they you know they like try to bring katara into it to explain it and she's like blood bending has severed her connection but it's like if bending is a spiritual connection and it's rava's spirit inside Korra that is allowing her to bend all four elements why is bloodbending able to sever that connection? It just doesn't make sense. And it's like, then she only establishes the air connection after everything's gone, which like, it was cool in the moment to be like, oh my God, she finally got it. And she like, you know, punches him out of the building and he gets into the sea and is exposed. But then it's like, all right, so could she not bend it all before? Like she had to have nothing to be able to establish airbending. It's just all very like, confusing and like muddled and they just try to like throw it up like one offline to justify everything um i mean even tarlock is like he somehow uses blood bending to you know strip someone and it's like okay well what's this somehow like are we gonna talk about that a bit more or no yeah it's it's shoddy but i think that this episode by itself is really great Mm-hmm. um no complaints 10 out of 10 full stars Absolutely. everything i yeah, definitely like I understand said, why you chose it <laughs> it really just hits the mark you know individually outside the context of the whole story like you have the humor you have the action you have the beauty shots you have you know the substance that you can talk about outside the context of the individual story uh 10 out of 10 across the board amazing episode I have just received word from Derek that his internet does not work and that we should wrap up without him, unfortunately. Oh, wait. Hold on. Oh, he, hello. As I hey, was saying. Oh, yes, he we called can, in. We can hear you. Okay, I'm so glad the number worked. Okay. Surprise. I literally was just saying that I got word from you that we should wrap up without you, but I'm so glad that you were able to join. Derek, are you Thanks alive? Again. I am live. I'm well. My internet, I cannot say the same for her. I'm afraid. Oh, um, rip. Yes. Well, um, I can only assume you've only been talking about me this whole time. Uh, uh, no, no, well. we've been vamping quite well without you. Oh, yeah, we talked oh, okay. about pride. We talked about the traditional values, a bit about the comics, 
Tarlock, mm. Bloodbending, Amon, Parallels, mm. yeah. uh, and uh, the Deus Ex Machina of the Avatar State. Really, we covered it all. It's actually very interesting audio if you uh, want to go back and listen to it when it comes out. <laughs> um, I Maybe I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, No, yeah, that's basically all I was going to say about spoiler territory was um, the fact that they do do a kind of good job of setting up this idea of Tarlock versus Amon ideologically mm. here. Um, whether that is paid off well is another story to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think, well, I think um, there's also something cool about how they use their bloodbending. Like um, for Tarlock, mm-hmm. it's like something that he's ashamed of and he uses it only as a last resort to get what he wants. But like Amon is mm-hmm. much more like violent about it and uses it whenever he pleases to get what he wants. Yeah, it's, is like it's, it's another the whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally. I do like enjoy the liner notes version of their story, I guess. Um, and I guess I'm excited to, oh, maybe it'll hold up better in this viewing. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do love the sort of reveal. I do think it's very dramatic and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't have to get too much into it now, but it uh, sounds like you guys covered it all, basically. Pretty yeah, much. We sure did, yeah. <laughs> um, well, then, yeah, uh, I guess we okay. can g- head off into the night. Tommy, will you remind people where they can uh, follow you? Yes, you can follow me on all social media and on Spotify, Tommy Bravos. Um, I am thoroughly inspired by the Avatar universe and how I create my art. And if you enjoy this podcast and the stories that avatar tells then maybe you'll enjoy my music too so i've got an album yeah. coming out that derek mm-hmm. actually uh, is helping out with uh animating the artwork that i end up posting mm-hmm. on socials so yeah derek has actually made artwork for me before uh, before this album too so we have a long oomphy history of working together wow <laughs> we do um and it, the music does indeed slap um i guess that's one thing i didn't mention i do love in the fight scene that there's zero music but um yes i think uh, those moments are really powerful yes um but your music even more powerful i must say um <laughs> uh yeah so everyone should check that out for sure um but you can find me at reindeer on twitter you can find us at bitter pod on twitter and instagram and you can find me with our other friend Christine Palin talking about Revolutionary Girl Lutena uh, at Shadowplay Gaze on Twitter. 100% concur with everything. Tommy's music is very powerful and you should listen up. Shadowplay Gaze uh, till I die. Okay, I'm at <laughs> Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter. Ooh, baby, you better follow me at Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram and Twitter because I hope to be coming back to your ear holes on that feed soon, too. Um, Tommy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for requesting this episode. This was so great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, again, I could talk Cora all day, any day. In fact, my friends tell me to shut up when I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, and you're welcome for not telling mm-hmm. me to shut up about Cora. I appreciate it. I thought you were going to say you're welcome to come back on another episode of the podcast, well, but you too, took that in a different but... direction. Hit me up um, when we get to book three. That is timeless <laughs> art. I'm here to talk about any episode from that book. I love but book I, two's I, re- uh, rep- reputation as just a skippable book. Well, I see, I love book two, actually. I think once you get to beginnings, it's a really, really beautiful story i love the way it looks i love the color palette i think 
it's got some of the best fight choreography and there's just a lot of lessons we can learn from Korra in that story. Um, so I'm not one of those people that shits on book two. I think it's necessary and really beautiful once you get through the bumpy ride of the first half, which is expected. Okay, then I guess we will actually have to have you back on book two to uh, let us know. The tea. You'll probably be, uh, probably won't have that many people itching to talk about it. <laughs> okay well thank you both (laughs) this was so great um i guess that wraps us up bye bye